Acts chapter 2, 25 through 41. You say, Pastor, that's a lot of verses. Yes, it is. We're going to get through them, Lord willing, all today. Well, Lord willing. 25, beginning in 25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I shall not be shaken. Remember Psalm 16 I read earlier? This is what he's saying. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. That's the last three verses in the book of Psalms in chapter 16. Verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses." Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, this is also prophecy from the Old Testament concerning Christ, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's stop on 38 right there. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And we ask that you would bless it today. Lord, in the hearts of those that are here. May we have clarity in these Old Testament prophecies, Lord, as sometimes they can be hard to apply. May we have clarity and understanding. Lord, help us to see what Peter is telling them. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So what had happened up until this point? For the, verse, for the first 13 verses, we see that the Spirit had fell on the 120 that was in the upper room. And they began to prophesy and they began to speak in tongues. And they were speaking in such a way that all of these nations that were here that were gathered, uh, the Elamites and the Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, so on and so forth, were hearing them... We're hearing them speak in their own language. As a matter of fact, 
it says this. We know that some mocked them and said that they were filled with new wine. Peter stands up in verses 14. He lifted up his voice and he began to preach. And he preached from 14 to 21. He preached from Joel's prophecy. And this is what he is saying. What you are seeing is what Joel prophesied about. About the young men and the young women and the old men. And even the maidens and the servants prophesying. And that the Spirit would be poured out upon them. We go on then and we see in in 19 there and partially 20 and 21 what I believe to be the destruction of the temple in in uh, in 70 AD and then the second coming of the Lord. And all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's the first section there of Peter's sermon. And he goes back to the prophet Joel to preach from. Well, here in this second section, which we looked at last week in verse 22, we see him and he is now going to place a charge to them. And that charge is that they crucified and killed the innocent one. We know that it was preordained to come to pass according to this past of Scripture in 23, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. However, that did not leave them without excuse that they were guilty of crucifying the Lord Jesus. And so David begins, or, or uh, Peter begins again. And here he begins in this next passage of Scripture in 25. And listen to what he said. After the resurrection in 24, because you know death couldn't hold our Jesus, right? Y'all should all say amen because he opened the path for us. The reason why the resurrection is so important is because he beat death. He opened the grave for us so that he was the firstborn from the dead and that we will be too. You better be thanking the good Lord for that. The resurrection is so key in this passage of Scripture. Because of Jesus raising from the dead, we will be able to raise from the dead as well and follow the same path that He has blazed for us. We forget what the resurrection has done for us. But it was always on the mind of Jesus. And we're going to see that in this passage of Scripture, especially in the book of Psalms. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2 and 25. For David says concerning him, this is a messianic psalm. It's about Jesus. It is contained in Psalms 16, 8 through 11. I've already told you that 1 through 7 is about Jesus as well. But Peter here keys in on 8 through 11 in that psalm. And we're going to see this played out here in 25 through 28. And those three verses there, four verses. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. As we start, we see Peter preaching once again from the Old Testament. 
And if you want to preach right, you've got to use the whole counsel of God. Plain and simple. You can't get around it. You can't cherry pick verses and, and this and that. You have to use the whole counsel. And we see here that Simon Peter is not just using things that is new to him, but he is going back into the Old Testament and he is, because that's what they had. And he is using the book of Psalms, inspired by God here, he is using the book of Psalms to explain what happened to Jesus Christ. So he says, you've already done it like this. The, the Spirit has been poured out. You crucified him. He's been raised from the dead. But let me put it to you in another light. He says, let's look at Psalms 16 for just a minute. And this is what he says. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. From this messianic psalm, it means it's about Jesus. Peter is going to the book of Psalms 16 to reiterate and to back up and to give weight to what he previously said in 22 through 24, namely accusing them and charging them with the murder of the innocent one. So he is going to use the book of Psalms to back up and reiterate what he has already said to them. Everybody follow. Everybody follow and say amen if you're here. Say amen if you can breathe. All right, 25. For David says concerning him, him who? Who's David talking about? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. He says, I saw the Lord always before me. Remember, this is about Christ Jesus. David is prophesying, but it's as if Christ Jesus is speaking. This is what that messianic psalm is talking about. This is what it's showing us. And so when we begin to read this messianic psalm, we have to see that Christ is here and it's like he's talking, okay? And he's fixing to tell us what's going to happen. This is what Peter's doing. This is what he is using to communicate effectively to the Jews. Because he knew, and that's important that you know, that it was to the Jews. Because he knew. He knew that they would understand what he was talking about. When he begins to talk about David and his songs. This is very important that we understand. He says, I saw the Lord always before me. And this statement is so true concerning Christ. For he kept his father in the forefront of his mind at all times. Jesus Christ was always about doing the will of his father. Always. Did he ever break from that? Nope. He was always about his father's plan, his father's purpose. He never broke stride from that. It was always before him. And so when it says, I saw the Lord always before me, it's as if Christ is saying, the Lord has always been before me. I have always placed him with the preeminence. He has always been there. His will, his plan, his purpose, everything comes first in my life. But with that comes a problem because we know that Jesus knew that what was coming was death for him. 
But did he shrug at the, at the sight of death? No, he went there, didn't he? Listen to what it says. Jesus is found constantly submitting to the will of his Father. And as this psalm, as Peter goes through this, you're going to see it develop more and more. Let me give you an example. John 4 and 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Whose work? The work of the Father. John 6 and 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is what it means when it says that he was always before him. The Father was always before him. He was in the forefront of his mind to do his will, to accomplish his perfect plan. Even though he was equal to the Father. He submitted to his father's plans, did he not? What was his father's plans? Well, Jesus tells us concerning Zacchaeus. That he came to seek and to save what? That which was lost. And so we know according to scripture, that was the father's plan all along. For Jesus to come and Jesus submitted to that. Verse 25, it says, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Shaken by what? What was to come to Christ that would cause someone to shake? What would come? Did you just say dying on the cross? Is that what he said? You're exactly right, my my young man. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Shaken by what? What was to come? What was to come? Something that was so terrible and so awful. The pressing out of our Lord. The cross. The tearing and the bruising of His body. The mocking and the piercing, the beating and the betrayal, the grief and the shame and ultimately His death. That was what was to come. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Jesus in his foresight could look through his death, look through his resurrection, and look through to the moment that he would be sitting beside the Father with joy forevermore. According to verse 11 in Psalm 16. And so this, this shakingness, this, this being shook, what was to come, was his, ultimately was his death. Christ knew what he had to do. He went to the cross knowing that the Father would raise him again. Jesus knew that the Father would raise him again to new life. Listen to what it says in verse 26. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Why? Why was his heart glad? Why did his tongue rejoice? Look at the rest of the verse. My flesh will also dwell in hope. What's he talking about here? This dwelling in hope. His flesh. 
the flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ, even though dead, yet he had hope that his flesh would not see corruption, that it would be in the ground, but yet that his death would be just a rest and that it would be raised back up to new life. He says, my flesh will also dwell in hope or also rest in hope. Christ is talking about his crucified body before it happens and tells us, though my flesh be killed, it will dwell or it will rest in hope. Christ looked down in this messianic psalm and he knew good and well. Peter's preaching to them. And there's a significance for this and I'm going to get to it in just a minute. But Peter is preaching to them. And he is speaking about this messianic psalm about Christ looking down through the ages. And he he knew. He knew that he was going to go to the cross and he knew that he was going to die. And he knew that he was going to be buried and put in a tomb that nobody had been laid in before. And that a stone would be rolled over in front of it. He knew these things because he's omniscient. Because he's God. He subjected himself to these things. But he also knew that while he was there, it would be but a short period of time. Three days, in fact. He knew that he would be there for a short period of time. The word dwell there means to rest. It means to rest. We know that he rested there for a short period of time. Christ knew he would be slaughtered, but he also looked past that and knew that his flesh would not stay in the ground. He fully, wholeheartedly believed that his father would raise him from the dead. My flesh will dwell or rest in hope, is what he is saying. Verse 27, because here it is. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. There it is right there, verse 27. The Father would not let the Son see corruption in the ground. Because He was perfect. He was the perfect sacrifice and He was pleasing to the Father. He was a sweet aroma on behalf of the saints to the Father. He removed our sins before the Father. And so the Father in all of His glory raised Him up. He would not let His Son see corruption. And so what is Peter doing? He is leading up to the point of Jesus' resurrection. He is going to reiterate once again that Jesus truly did raise from the dead. And he's using the book of Psalms to do it. It's a masterpiece. It's beautiful. This is why 26 calls it a dwell or a rest. It's a nap, a short stay. Why? Because the Father raised him up. We know according to Scripture on the third day. Though Christ Jesus was dead, the Father would not allow his son to see corruption or decay. He couldn't because he took death and done away with it. He took sin and done away with it. The father raised the son from the dead because he was the sweet 
smelling, pleasing sacrifice for the sins of his people. Look at 28. Look at 28 in Psalms, or 28 in Acts. You have made known to me the paths of life. This is the resurrection. It is so clear when you see this. You see his death, you see his burial, but here you see his resurrection. The grave being opened, the calling forth of Jesus out of the grave, the life going back into the flesh of Christ Jesus. He comes and he blazes a trail for us victoriously, parting the waves, if you will, for us to come out as well one day. This is the resurrection. To Jesus first, this path was shown, for he is the firstborn or the first begotten from the dead, according to Scripture. He defeated death, according to Scripture, did he not? He opened up the grave, did he not? And he tells us that all those that trust in him, the same thing will likewise happen. Even though our flesh will see corruption, our flesh will rot, our flesh will decay, unlike his, we will raise one day and we will put on incorruption. We will put on perfection. We will put on glorified bodies. Scripture teaches us this. Listen to what it says. He defeated death. Making the grave wide open for us so that all those that die in Christ will likewise raise as he did. This brought him great joy. I want us to understand that. Listen to it again. You have made known to me the paths of life. This brought him great joy in his ascension and on the throne. Look at verse 28. You you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Just so I can reiterate this, I'm going to read Psalm 1611 to you. It tells us the same thing. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, that's the resurrection. In your presence, that's the ascension where he's at. There is fullness of joy at your right hand where we know that he sat down at our pleasures forevermore. So what does this mean for the people? This is where we get to our point. He preaches out of Psalms. But what does this mean for the people that are gathered on the day of Pentecost that Peter was preaching to? I'll tell you what it means. He is reiterating what he said before. And it's this. You can't stop the omnipotent one. You can't stop the all-powerful, omniscient God. You had plans and schemes to murder him. But he already had all that figured out. Not only that, but Peter goes into telling them that you are still guilty of crucifying this perfect Lord. 
Verse 29, it says, Brothers, listen to what he says. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And what he's doing here is he's saying, so we know that this psalm is not about David. We know it's about another and we know it's about the one that you slaughtered. Listen to what he said. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried in his tomb or sepulcher is with us to this day. He is saying this psalm was not about King David because his body is still in the ground seeing corruption. But who is this psalm about? It's about another one. Who is it? Jesus. Being therefore, verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Verse 30, we have it again. He explains everything that just happened in verses 25 through 28. He says, this psalm is about Jesus, the carpenter's son of Nazareth. The little town in Galilee. The poor one, the one that wasn't much to look at, but he was a miracle worker and he was the savior of the world. They called him God with us. They called him God saves. You remember him? You're guilty of murdering him. It says, this Jesus God raised up. In other words, he's going back to Psalm 16 and reiterating what it says. This Jesus God raised up. Fulfilling Psalms 16, just to reiterate that. Verse 32. And then he says this, And of of that we all are witnesses. What does he mean? We all are witnesses. Witnesses of the resurrection, right? Witnesses of seeing Christ after he rose. These are people that actually laid hands on him, saw him, talked with him. Matter of fact, I don't believe that he was talking about the 3,000 that was in attendance. I do believe, however, he was talking about the 120 that were in the upper room. Plus another 500 that was saw, plus other people. So it wasn't like Jesus just left and went somewhere else for 40 days. For 40 days, it says, and it teaches us that he taught them the scriptures. That he ate with them. That he spent time with them. For 40 days. Walked with them. This is probably even where Peter... I read this in one of, one of the commentaries. This is probably where even Peter learned Psalm 16. Because it teaches us in the book of Luke that 
When Jesus began to speak about himself in the Old Testament, he opened up the Old Testament to them. He opened up the scriptures to them. And beginning with the book of Moses, he spoke about himself throughout the whole scripture. And so if he did it with the two disciples on the road, why would we think that he wouldn't do it with the whole group that was gathered in the upper room eating with him? Forty days he was seen by 120, we know for sure. They were all witnesses. 33, it says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, this is talking about his ascension, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, this was promised to the Son to give to the people. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Christ ascended. He received the gift of the Spirit to pour out as a promise to pour out on the people and the evidence is what you are seeing and what you are hearing now. Peter is leaving them absolutely without excuse. He is painting this picture for them very clearly. And matter of fact, he says that you're seeing it and you're hearing it. It's not as if that they can just now turn around and say, nope, I didn't see that. Nope, I didn't hear that. No, they're seeing it and they are hearing it. 34, for David did not ascend into, for David did not ascend into the hay. He keeps going back to David. He keeps going back to the book of Psalms. For David did not ascend into the heavens. We know that. But he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Who was David's Lord? The promised Messiah, the King of glory. This was David's Lord. That statement, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand, is the words between God the Father and God the Son, not God the Father and King David. King David did not ascend. King David is still in the tomb. There's only one that has ascended, and that is Jesus Christ. There's only one that took his place at the right hand of God, and there's only one that is the mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Thirty-six. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. Here it comes. He's fixing to. He's fixing to have another mic drop. He's already had one. This is fixing to be a second. Listen to what he says. Let all the house of Israel therefore know. Remember, he's talking, and they're hearing him in all these different languages. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Has made him both Lord and the anointed one. Peter tells them, listen to me everybody. Let all of you understand today. 
that the Father has made him the Lord and the one that everybody's been waiting on and you slaughtered him. The anointed one. You slaughtered. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Why is it important that he says the name of Jesus? Because he wants them to know for sure who it was that they crucified. Yahweh saves. The one that came to seek and to save the lost, they crucified. This is why it tells us later on to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And the reason why that is, is because the Jews did not want to associate themselves with the name of Jesus. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. They called him a traitor. They called him everything under the sun. And they slaughtered him on a cross. And so Peter says, be baptized in the name of Jesus. That struck a nerve in their heart when he tells them that this Jesus is the one they crucified. He is the anointed one. Listen to what happens. He lays out here again what he says in verse 23. You crucified the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, and for that you are guilty. Peter here drops the hammer and lays to their charge. You are guilty of killing Jesus. Yahweh saves. As we said last week, we cannot just put the blame on them, can we? As we, as we looked at last week, that it's, the blame is not just on them, but the blame is on us as well. Because if you recall, it was not just for some sins that he died, but it was for my sin that he died. Do you remember that? And so when we see Peter and he is addressing this crowd, we have to understand that that our sins were placed lash by lash, nail by nail, bruise by bruise upon Jesus. So you were there. That makes us guilty. Guilty of killing the one that was perfect. It was our sin that nailed him to the cross. And it was his love that kept him there. Do we understand that? Our sin nailed him to the cross and for that we are guilty. But his love kept him there. His love for who? His love for us. I'm just about done. 
I've got to get through this last verse. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Notice that they heard. Now when they heard this, they heard. What did they hear? They heard the charge against them and they heard it with spiritual ears. I don't know y'all's hearts this morning, but I do know this. I do know that people can sit in one building for 40, 50, 60, 70 years, might have even cut their teeth on the pews and never hear spiritually because they don't have spiritual ears to hear with. These people in this text had spiritual ears to hear with the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It cut them and it circumcised their ears. It cut them and it pricked them to the heart. It laid them open, baby. Laid them open. It hurt them. It hurt them. They heard this charge against them with spiritual ears. Notice also the power of the gospel. It pierced. It says pierced in some translations. Other translations it says cut. Whichever you do to the heart. I don't care whether you nick it, whether you cut it, whether you pierce it, or whether you flay it all the way open to the core, very, very marrow core of the heart. It's going to kill you. Because the heart is where all the blood is at. And the inner man right there, the gospel message, what did it do? It pierced them. It cut them through and through. And this was a killing cut. And this is what it did. And this is what the gospel does. It shows us for the first time the power of sin and our death. It shows us what we have done. It shows us that we are guilty of crucifying the risen Savior. We are guilty of crucifying Him. Our sin. They were so distraught by what had happened, by what they had heard and what they had seen that this is what they say. Listen to me and I'm done. This is what they say. What shall we do? Peter answers in verse 38. And I'm going to start with the beginning of this much contested verse. And I'm going to finish it next week. But listen to what he says, and I'm going to start with the very beginning of it. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This morning as I close, I'm going to take you to the very first part of this much contested passage of Scripture. Where so many different doctrines and so many different denominations come from. And the first thing that we're going to do as I close. We're going to see that the scripture says to repent. Repent, repent, repent. What does it mean to repent? 
means to turn from your ways, does it not? To turn from your ways, from your sins, to God's way, which is Jesus. God's way is Jesus. John 14 tells us that he is the way. So for us to repent means to turn from our way to go to God's way, which is the way and the path of Jesus. And we do that, we know, by faith in Jesus. This act of repentance brought on by the Spirit is... This act of repentance brought on by the Spirit is executed by faith in the individual. We're going to see later on in the text the work of God there in in a couple of verses down. But here we see that it's on the individual, them repenting and turning after the gospel has been preached, after their heart has been cut. They're responsible then for, by faith, believing in this Jesus. And the next time that we meet, we will dive right into 38, the rest of it. And we will clear up some of the misunderstandings that people, a lot of people have about Acts 2 and 38. We're going to clear those up. And we're going to do it with God's Word. We're going to do it with the Scriptures. And we're going to see what baptism is. We're going to see what the gift of the Holy Spirit is. And we're going to see what the name of Jesus is all about. And so I pray that you'd come back next week to, to, to follow up and to finish there in, in verse 38. But if you can, let us stand as we go into prayer.